You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. You can also do the motorcycle wave, you know, that low, what's up? Just don't do the I-35 single finger wave, okay? <laughs> Not appropriate in church. Not appropriate on 35 either, but I get it regularly. So anyway, yeah, so yesterday I did something I don't normally do. I ran. And I ran hard, man. Nobody was chasing me. I paid to do this, and I did this for fun. Um, but it was called the terrain run. Several of us, what's up, Ozzy? How your legs feeling today? Um, but ooh, I did this. And, um, and so I take off running. We're, we're running. I'm ready for mud. You know, I was prepared, right? I brought, I brought baggies to put shoes in. And I mean, I'm thinking I'm going to be soaked. Because like, if I just, I Googled like a mud run, and I'm like, why did I sign up for this? And uh, so I, I'm taking change of clothes. I'm like, this is going to be this going to be kind of a lot of awfulness. But so I get there and we 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 meet a guy that had just finished and his shoes were dirty. I was like, oh, we got this. And so I'm looking through the course as we're driving into Texas Motor Speedway, and I'm like, all right, I think I can do this. And I'm going to run. I'm going to do it. But we take off running. And we get to an obstacle. And see, it was, this was a run where it's kind of called the terrain run. So it's not on sidewalk. It's just on grass, gravel, some mud. And uh, there's obstacles in the way. And uh, the, uh, the first, I ran to the first obstacle. And, you know, I'm kind of doing good. And it's a wall you jump over. And then I run to the next obstacle. And it's a tunnel you have to crawl through and under this rope and stuff. And I get up and I take off running. And all of a sudden, I hear this, hey, get back on the course. And I realized he's yelling at me. And I'm there turning around. And I'm looking. There's no boundaries. And this guy's yelling at me to get back on the course. I had some things I wanted to say to him. But since I'm a Jesus-loving preacher, yeah, I can't make the news, you know. And so I like, if I start running a different direction, I'm like, well, why don't you mark the course? You know, if you want me to run on your course, show me where your course is, right? That's logical. So I'm just, so all this stuff's working up in my mind, you know. But then I start realizing I, I don't have time to complain or be angry. I'm, I need oxygen. I'm like, what's happening to my body? And so I'm like, and so then I start praying. I was like, Jesus, help me. You know, it wasn't like Jesus take the wheel because we weren't driving. It's like, you know, Jesus take my feet, you know. How about mounting up like with wings like angels, you know, and let's go. And uh, so I just start thinking, you know, I let my mind wander. And um, I just start kind of thinking about this weekend's message, you know. So I'm running and thinking about the message. And something hit me. It was like, that's exactly how our faith is, right? We start out on this journey of faith and we're, we're kind of going along and all of a sudden we hit this obstacle. And that first obstacle of faith kind of rocks our world because a lot of you are new to faith and you're, you're new in your walk with Jesus and, and you hit that first obstacle and you think, man, this isn't what following Jesus, I, I thought this was gonna be different. And so you kind of hit this struggle and you're like, it really kind of solidifies your faith in some ways, but it also kind of, you start kind of looking around and you're like, well, where do I go now? And, and, and we need somebody to tell us to get back on course. We don't need somebody screaming at us like, you know, a 17-year-old punk with the authority of a walkie-talkie, but we need uh, somebody to help steer us back on course. And, and, and so I started thinking about how we're going through the book of Galatians 
And that's exactly what Paul's teaching us is that we, he says to the Galatians, you started out running so well in your faith and all of a sudden somebody's cutting in on you and, and somebody's helping set a different direction for your life. Let's get back to the direction of faith. Let's get back to the direction where grace leads our steps. Let's get back. We're gonna face obstacles, but you know what? Grace gives us the ability to get over them. And so I, I, really, I really think that's just beautiful how God loves us so much that he does set those boundaries and, and, and kind of brings us back onto course because we need boundaries. You know, we've talked a lot of, in Galatians. We're gonna be in chapter three. So if you got your Bible, go to chapter three of Galatians. If you don't own a Bible, we keep some on the back cabinets for you. But, but while we're going there, I just I started thinking about this, that we've, we've talked a lot about grace and how grace does trump the law where he says your salvation, your righteousness, it comes by faith and not your ability to follow this list of rules. And, and some of you grew up in a system where it was all about the rules. It was, it was just a very legal environment. And, and so you, you, many of you walked away from that and you're kind of like, well, I'm, I'm trying, I got invited to church and so we'll see what the rules of this game are. And, and we've been really helping you understand this is about grace. But it's also a thing where we as Christians aren't lawless people. We, 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 don't, we don't walk around with, with no law. I mean, sometimes it'd be great if there were not certain laws like the one that takes an hour from us on Saturday night. I got no sleep last night, y'all. Man, because I, I just don't trust my Siri. I don't trust, uh, you know, we, I have a love-hate relationship with my technology. And so uh, two years ago or three years ago, the phones didn't update in the middle of the night. Now, that's a problem for somebody who's got to be here for an early service who is not an early morning person anyway. I mean, I got to hit snooze at least six times before I get out of bed. And so I was in trouble. I mean, Heather's waking me up in a panic. And so last year, what I did is I thought I turned off the updates and set my phone an hour ahead. So last year, I lost two hours. So you can imagine my anxiety going into last night, right? So I did not sleep. I woke up at 3.30 because I looked at my phone. I was like, well, I don't trust it. So I went to the trusty oven clock, right? You know? So I was like, okay, that one says, okay, we're, we, we've got a difference. We're good. I try to go back to bed. Let's get rid of that law. I don't know. Write your congressman. I don't know. I'm not here to do all that stuff. But, but uh, it's kind of like, you know, there's some rules that help create boundaries, like speed limits. Y'all, this week, I thought I was going to get pulled over. It was that moment, I mean, it's that moment where you tense up so bad, you know, you, 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 you know I, I knew I was speeding. I mean, and, you know, if he would have pulled me over and said, do you know you're speeding, I have to be honest, be like, what? You know, <laughs> so it was that moment where I'm going down the highway, and I, I'm, like, I'm like making some time, and, and all of a sudden I pass, I was like, you know, and that, that whole tense feeling that, that starts in your posterior and uh, moves throughout the rest of your body. And so you, then you have the obligatory slow down. And then I'm just, I'm just watching in the rearview mirror. It's like, he's, he's getting ready to turn on the lights. And, I, you know, do I, do I play it? Like, if he turns on the lights, do I go ahead and pull over? Because I was passing everybody. Or do I just let him come up to me just to make sure he's coming after me. You know, you that whole game that goes on in your mind, you know, like I got to get my insurance card ready and all this stuff. And, and I'm like, you know, just all this stuff going through my mind, but he didn't move. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I was like, man, favor is good today, right? And so, <laughs> but that's the way we operate, right? We want grace for ourselves and we want justice for everybody else. Because about five minutes later, when that fool passed me doing 90 miles an hour, I was like, he's driving crazy. Where's that police officer now? You know, can I make a citizen's arrest on this? You know, 
yeah, there's times we want to enact that, but, but we've got to have some boundaries. Otherwise, it's, we just live in chaos. You know, we, we, so we have some of those, and that's really what Galatians has been drilling down to us. That we, we've got grace over the law, but today I want to really unpack that the law has a place. So I want us to understand that place. And so in Galatians chapter three, this is, I'm just gonna be honest with you. This is gonna be a little bit of a difficult passage because it sounds like a lot of legal language because we're talking about the law, which is ironic to me, but it's, it's, I'm gonna help you unpack it. So let's start out, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. That's the first five books of our our Old Testament, the book of the law. It's called the Pentateuch. But cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by that law. The righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. And so we're talking about blessings and cursing in this, in this, in this short section that kind of gets us into where we're going today. And I love what, what Paul writes in that. He says, the righteous will live by faith. This, he's going back to the Old Testament because he, he spent some time setting up this argument that, that when you look at the law, the Old Testament law isn't gonna save you. It's not gonna justify. Your ability to follow the rules doesn't make you righteous. And, and, and by the way, none of us have the ability to follow the rules. That's why it says we are under a curse because we can't follow it all. But he says the righteous live by faith. So righteousness doesn't come by the law. Righteousness comes by faith. And that's, he's going back to the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. It's in chapter two, verse four, when he says the righteous will live by faith. And I love how the New Testament really kind of unpacks that. There, there's a continuity. I mean, some people think where well, the old is gone, the new has come. No, there's a continuity. See, see, God really fulfills it all. And so when we look in the New Testament, like just break down that statement, the righteous shall live by faith. You go to the book of Romans in the New Testament, it talks about our righteousness, how we get that righteousness that, that we're declared righteousness by the blood of Jesus through Christ in him and our faith in him, he brings righteousness. And then, then he says in Galatians, how we live, we live by faith. Well, what is faith? Well, you read the book of Hebrews and it tells us what faith is and how that operates in our daily life. But he says the righteous live by faith. And so we've got this curse because we've tried to maintain a righteousness under the law. He says it doesn't get there. Some of you grew up in a very legal system or a very strict system. It might have been your parents' home. It might have been your church that you went to and you left as soon as you could because you're like, look, all, it's all these rules. I've got to do this. I've got to, I've got to perform. I've got to, I've got to be there so many times. I have to do this. I have to act this way and do this. And it, you, just, you just spend your life in this struggle, this constant struggle. And really, I, I, I said it last night and I think it's true. It's kind of the toilet bowl of guilt, Right? You just keep swirling around the same guilt. And you're just like, I, I'm out of here. But we've got to realize that our righteousness isn't coming through that. Our righteousness doesn't come from our ability to show up at a church or, or, or to how much we put in, a, in an offering or, or that, that we, we serve. Our, our righteousness comes by faith. He says the blessing that removes us from the curse comes through a promise and that promise is through Abraham. And he says, to give, a, to give a human example, 
that, that to others, brothers, a human example, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. So what he's, he's setting there is saying, look, once a contract has been made, a covenant has been made, we don't go back and, uh, and, and annul it. We don't go back and ratify it. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And so, so what God is, what, what Paul's helping us understand, and I know that can get confusing, like we ratified a contract, do, you know, do we have a quorum, do we, do we have all this, you know, all in favor, say aye, second the motion. It really sounds like a church business meeting, honestly. But to, to unpack that, what Paul's saying is, look, the, this, this whole covenant was not made when the law came. See, what's beautiful about this, he takes us back. He goes, okay, about 2000 BC, God appears to Abram. He changes his name to Abraham. He says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to make a promise. I've got a covenant for you. Out of you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. Through you, I'm going to build this great nation. It's how we got Israel. But it says, Abraham believed God, that's faith, and God credited him as righteousness, so the righteousness came by faith, not by the law. 430 years after that declaration of faith and that promise given to Abram, the law came. Why did the, and so we, we get in here where the, the law doesn't trump the promise. The promise has always been there. That's what Paul's saying. Why, why do we keep going back to a law when we got to go back to the promise? The fulfillment is the promise. It's not the law. So then he goes on to say, why, why the law? Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. So it's kind of like some of y'all, think about your family. You put rules in your family because they're needed, right? One of your kids acted stupid, and now you got to have a new rule for the house. See? You didn't, you didn't bring that little bundle of joy home from the hospital and set them in their crib or bassinet or swing or whatever, kennel, whatever, and, 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 and then sit down and go, okay, honey, let's go through all the rules. Nah, I mean, maybe, maybe Heather and I are just a little bit different. We're like, okay, we're going to trust God. We got to figure this out. But when one does something stupid, we'll make a rule. I mean, the reason we have rules is because somebody has done something stupid, right? Think about it. Think about some of the stuff we have in our society. Caution, this coffee is hot and will burn you. Duh! It took, never mind. I, we, can't let, we, we can't put enough rules and boundaries to, to make up for some common sense, y'all. But we, we put rules in place because a boundary is needed. And when my kids were growing up, they would do things and we would have to bring a boundary in. As they grew up and showed that we could, they could be trusted in that boundary, we might move that boundary. That's called teenage years where they're hitting that boundary and you're butting heads. You're like, what do you do? And it's the because I said so doesn't work anymore. And so now you've got to work together and go, what is that boundary? So, so Paul's saying like this, so why the law? The law was given to show us that there was transgression. 
See, from the time we sinned in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned and we're all born into it, that it's just going crazy. And so the law is given to show us some boundaries, to show us some, some abilities to, to, to realize, hey, we're acting stupid in some areas and we need to bring this in. We need to dial this in. And so why then the law? That's why. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be the, by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What he's saying is, well, you, you don't legislate righteousness. Just because a law is there doesn't mean you're gonna be holy. Doesn't mean you're gonna be righteous. I mean, think about it. There are laws on the books in the state of Texas that says you've gotta care for your kids. You have to provide a welfare environment for your kids, meaning food and shelter. It doesn't mean you gotta love them. It doesn't mean you gotta like them. Now, I know there's times you're like, I love my kids, but I don't like them today. Some of y'all that gotta be home with them all spring break, you're not gonna like them much this week. Well, happy to spring, welcome to spring break, y'all. Man, jealous. You need it, though. You gotta deal with our children, so thank you for that, teachers, educators. We love y'all. Um, but there's no law that's gonna get us the righteousness. He said that we're in prison under that. He says, now, before faith came, he's talking about before faith, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. What an incredible picture he's painting here about about the law and about these things. And, and, and he, he says that this, this, there's a need for the law. He shows us this need. And so why do we have the law? The first thing is the law is a guardian. Paul said it, though, you were under this guardian. And, and think about it this way, because he, he gives a, a difference. He says, before faith came, before Jesus steps on the scene, before Christ came, you were held as a guardian under the, the, the guardian. Let me say this right. The law was a guardian over you. Think about it this way. You're, you're, you're a ward of the state. And a guardian sets direction, sets boundaries, and provides an environment for you to kind of move in the direction where you need to go. I mean, think, think about an orphanage. If I'm in an orphanage, if we're in an orphanage under the law, then the law is like, we want to get you adopted. And through Christ, the adoption happens. He paid his blood. He paid the price for you and I to be adopted as sons in the family of God. That's an incredibly beautiful thing when you break that down, that every one of us have the position of righteousness and the position in God's family as a firstborn son. In this context, understand this, the firstborn son got the bigger inheritance, the bigger blessing, and had more rights, responsibilities, opportunities, and privileges. So what Paul is teaching us is that under the law, we, we had this guardian that just set the boundaries and set the rules and, and showed us kind of our, our, that we're not able to live up to it. It constantly reminded us we need adoption. It constantly reminds us that, that we don't have a, we're not settled in a family, that we're not settled in our place. And then all of a sudden, Jesus steps on the scene and he gives his blood. He pays the price for our adoption and you and I are set as sons in the family of God. And, and Paul would later 
write in Galatians that there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. That's because every one of us, regardless of our background, regardless of our gender, our race, whatever it is, all of us have the same position of authority in the family of God, the firstborn son, the rights, the responsibility, the, the privileges, the blessing, and the inheritance. That's a beautiful thing because I look at my life and I don't qualify for that. But it's the goodness of the grace of God that qualifies me for that position in the family. And the law saying, I, I'm, I'm holding you until the time faith comes And when that faith comes, when Jesus comes and the sacrifice is made and he's resurrected, then what happens is custody gets handed off. And so Paul's trying to teach them, look, if you've been adopted, why do you want to go back and live in the orphanage? Why do you want to go and live under that guardianship when you've been set in the freedom of family? with a perfect father whose character is perfect, who loves you, who knows how to give every good thing to you. Why why go back? Get back on course. The law is a guardian. The law is a gift. And this is is an interesting one because we're like, well, how are rules a gift? Well, you know, I love my kids so much that I I would set boundaries in their life because I love them and I want to protect them and I want to lead them. I want, ultimately, my responsibility as a father is to raise my kids to leave. And, and, and they've left. And, you know, praise God, they're, 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 they're walking with Jesus. They're functioning adults. And you know what? They're off my payroll. I mean, that's a blessing. That, that is a great day, y'all. But the gift for the law is this. I mean, David would talk about the gift. He said, how I love your law. In Psalm 119, 97, he said, how I love your law. I meditated on it all day. He would go on in that chapter, and I put several more verses in your notes for you to read this week, where he says, I love your precepts. I love your concepts. I love, I love how you bring my life into focus with this. So David, he's not saying, I hate your law. I mean, a lot of us will say, and remember when you're a teenager, I hate your rules. Well, we hate your rules because you're cramping my style. What you're doing is your rules are going contrary to my lifestyle, and I don't like your rules because I want to live outside of these boundaries, and my parents be like, you know what? Tough. My kids, I set boundaries because I love them, and they're like, it's not fair. I was like, I'm not here to be fair. I'm here to be your father. I'm not here to be your friend. I can be friends with my girls now because they're married and they're out of my house and we are great friends. But when I had to enforce the boundaries, hey, I love you, I'm your father, I have a responsibility. And you may hate my rules, but your hate for my rules will never trump my love for you. And that's a hard struggle when you're in the reality of it, y'all. But it's a gift. Ultimately, the gift of the law is this. It reveals our need for a savior. The law reveals our need for redemption. And Jesus Christ through himself has redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
You and I are under a curse because we cannot fulfill the law. We cannot live up to the standard of the law. Some of you have beat your head against the wall trying to live up to somebody else's standard and you get so frustrated and you get so beat down and that's the curse that we live under even in our righteousness that we're, we're, we have this desire in our heart. Solomon would write, the wisest man would write, God has set eternity in the heart of man. So we have this desire to have a reconnection with God. We have this desire for righteousness. And then when we start trying to find it under the law, we realize the curse. I can't live up to it. I can't do it. I don't have the ability. I don't have the willpower. I don't have the stamina. I might be able to string along a couple good minutes, but then something happens and I'm back into, the, I'm, I'm back into all this other process. I, why? It's because I don't possess the power. I need redemption from the curse. Jesus redeemed that. He took the curse on for us. Think about the weight of that. Now, Jesus sees us in our hopelessness. And he says that the curse that you're under, I'm gonna take it on. The only way for redemption is by faith in the promise. The promise is the fulfillment who is Christ. And he redeems us from this law. The law constantly shows us where we fall short. The law condemns us constantly, but only Jesus redeems. And then, and then the beautiful thing is, is Jesus doesn't take away the law. He doesn't abolish the law. He fulfills it. He doesn't come and go, the law, you don't have to worry about the law. No more, you don't have to worry about it. You know, the, all, the top 10, the thou shalt nots, don't worry about them. You know that? Don't kill, don't worry about that. Don't covet, nah, don't worry about that. No, Jesus does something greater. In Matthew chapter five, this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is what he teaches us. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a little bit of a jab comment that Jesus makes at the end. That's why I love him so much. He's honest and he gets you. Because he's like, look, okay, the, the Pharisees and scribes, they're highly religious people and they think that their laws make them righteous. Matter of fact, the Pharisees would get so frustrated that the, the law wasn't helping them be righteous. You know what they did? They created more laws. It's kind of like, well, I've got these rules in my life and I can't meet them, so if I create more rules, maybe that'll help me. And you end up in a deeper cycle, right? You end up deeper in the toilet bowl of guilt. And so Jesus says, look, unless your righteousness exceeds that, the righteousness they had was a self-righteousness. Their righteousness was based on how well they think they're following the list of rules. And Jesus is like, look, there's, got it, there's a higher righteousness than self-righteousness. It comes through me. I mean, Jesus then goes into, the, into this where he says, the fulfillment that I bring, I, I, I bring you some higher standards. I bring you into a greater standard. 
And the only way we're going to get a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees and to live in a higher standard of righteousness is we've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. And, and that's, that's where when we submit to Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves in and the Holy Spirit leads us in righteousness. Now, this, this isn't, this isn't, I got I to spend some time here because this shows us kind of the beauty and the character and the heart of God because you know, a, a lot of you are new in your faith. And so I, I've just kind of, I know some of you are wrestling with this question, so that's why I wanna, I wanna walk through this publicly, is that, that is Jesus God? Yes. Um, is, is God the Father God? Yes. Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. Are they different? Yes. But are they the same? Yes. Okay, now let me help you with this. Because a lot of people believe that that you've got God up in heaven and, you know, go with me on this. It's for the sake of clarity here. But, you know, you've got old, old man God in heaven, right? Long gray beard and gray hair and just wise. And so he creates everything. And then, then all of a sudden he goes, oh, man, they're under the curse of the law. So I got to bring redemption. So he, he puts on the Jesus cap, you know, and zips up flesh and comes to earth and he redeems us through the cross and he's resurrected. He's like, accomplished, mission accomplished. Oh, I'm going back to heaven, y'all. And uh, so I tell you what, when I get to heaven, I'm going to change hats and I'm going to put on this Holy Spirit hat and I'll be the spirit around the world. And, and that's not God, it's not God changing hats. It's, it's, it's one God, three essence, Okay. So you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. They are distinct, individual, yet three in one. This is a beautiful picture of the unity and relationship of God. I mean, even that he invites us into that unity because Jesus would pray in John chapter 17. He says, the way we're one, Father, the way you and I are one, let them be one with us. Let them experience that oneness like we experience, the connectedness, let them experience that. And, and, and each is so beautiful and we interact with God in these different ways, right? And so Jesus said in John chapter 14, he says, I'm, I'm going away, but, but if you keep my commands, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, but, but I'm going to send a helper. Wait, wait. If we love you and we keep your command, you're going to send us a helper. What does this helper do? The helper, capital H, Holy Spirit, helps us live the commandments of God. Because Jesus doesn't abolish the law, he fulfills the law. And then he goes on in chapter 5 to go into some very difficult subjects, some of which I'm already getting emails about, so, so be patient with me this week. But Jesus goes in and he talks about anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, loving your enemies. And in all of these topics, he, said, he starts out with this, you've heard it said, that's the law, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you harbor anger against your brother, you're subject to judgment. You've heard it said, the law says, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, the fulfillment, see, you got the law, then my fulfillment is this. If you look at another woman with lustful intent, you've already created, committed adultery in, in your heart with her. 
You've heard it said to, to, hate, to love your friends and hate your enemies, but I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The law, a fulfillment of the law. You've heard it said to, to fight eye for an eye, but I tell you if someone smacks you on the cheek, turn to them also, the other one. I struggle with that one, y'all, because I told you I have this grace and mercy and justice and all these things working in me, and so for a long time, I believe this. You hit me in this cheek, I'm gonna turn this cheek to you while I'm pulling back to come back, okay? But Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. I mean, he talks about divorce. You've heard it said, but I tell you. So what does this mean, this fulfillment? Because if, if, Jesus didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled it. What does that mean? It means I need a power. I need a helper to help me live in the fulfillment of the law. Because the fulfillment of the law, I mean, understand this. The law set a standard and all of us are under a curse because we can't fulfill the standard of the law. But Jesus says, you've heard it said, there's a standard, but I tell you it's here. So I need, if I can't do it here, I definitely can't do it here. So it highlights my need for somebody to get me over that obstacle. It highlights the need for a helper, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Because there's a lot of confusion out there about this. How we receive the Holy Spirit. One of our, one of our Creek families told me a story this week. They were shopping and a guy came up and said, can I share my testimony with you? And they're like, sure, we're both Christians. We'd love to hear your testimony. And the guy goes, Matt, his testimony was rock solid, but then it started getting a little weird. And I'm thinking, oh, where's this going? And he says, the guy tells me, he said, you know, well, I, I hear that you say you're a Christian, but, but unless you receive the Holy Spirit again and speak in tongues, you're not saved. And I look at him like, you cleaned that up, right? Remember a couple weeks ago I told you, you know, theological mess, it happens in front of you, clean it up. He goes, oh, yeah. He goes, so wait a second, so you're telling me that I, I got to get God on an installment plan? Like, I believe in him, I put my faith in him, that he died for me and he rose again, and I'm, I'm not saved? And he goes, no, until you speak in tongues, you're not saved. Now look, some of y'all grew up in environments where, where you've seen gifts abused, you've seen them used, you've seen them edified, all that, but, but I'm just here to tell you, how we get the Holy Spirit is that salvation. That's what this whole thing in Galatians is going on about, right? Because Peter goes before the council in Jerusalem and Paul's there and he says, wait, the Jews believed in Jesus and they received the Holy Spirit. The Gentiles are receiving the same Holy Spirit because they believed in a resurrected Jesus. So the Holy Spirit moves in at that point of transformation. When we talk about salvation, we're a new creation. The Holy Spirit moves in. He seals us for the day of redemption, Scripture says. That means God looks at us and goes, that's my seal on that boy right there. He's mine. He's my firstborn son. Well, who's that? Oh, he's my firstborn son. See my seal on that? Well, who's that? Who's she? She's my firstborn son. Well, how do you know? Because the Holy Spirit seal on her. So the Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee and a deposit and becomes the power at work in us. Now, here's where the disconnect happens with a lot of us is we, know, we no longer rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given as a helper, and so we're just like, well, I got this from here. And that's where Paul said daily, you know, 
I mean, I need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit because I, I leak. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm running along in life and some dude starts yelling at me, a 17-year-old who feels entitled because he's got a walkie-talkie to tell me where I can go with my life, wants to yell at me to get back on course. I lose some Holy Spirit in that. I'm like, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me because I need to love that kid. Like only a mama could love that kid. But we need that power. See, isn't it amazing how you can be running so well and then all of a sudden somebody throws an obstacle in front of you and they can even use the things of God. In Galatia, they're using the law. In, in, in the, our Creek family's context, they use the Holy Spirit and he's like, no, that's not right. That's not the truth, bro. But we need the Holy Okay, I've heard it said. And now Jesus, you say this, I need your help. I need your power to live that kind of life. I need your power to live in fulfillment of this law that I, I still can't ever fill. And so what happens is the power of the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and begins to write a law in our hearts. In Hebrews chapter eight and verse 10, God's referring back to a, a prophecy of Jeremiah that says, I will write my law on their hearts and minds. So what does that look like? What does that look like? Let me give you a practical example. Because it's easy to get into black and white, that's law. But grace gets messy, y'all. And so the Holy Spirit writing a law on our heart. I'll give you an example of one of our Creek men. He said, Matt, I'm a recovering alcoholic. He said, I've been sober almost 30 years. He goes, when I gave my life to Christ, man, he, 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 he freed me from alcoholism. And then here's the thing. God told me I should never touch a drop of alcohol in my life. And I said, that's, that's God writing his law on your heart. He said, but Matt, the problem was I began to superimpose that law on everyone else around me. That's legalism. See, I'm not here to preach for or against anything. I'm here to say this. We've got to let the Holy Spirit write the law in our heart. And so that means we've got, that's, that's the messy work of walking in grace of listening to the Holy Spirit and going, what, what, what boundary do you want for my life? Because boundary isn't meant to close us in and fence us off. It's meant to lead us in freedom. It's meant to lead us so we can grow in maturity and be functioning people in the kingdom of God so that we're not a bunch of kids running around whining and complaining and yelling at God, I hate your rules. We've got to let him write that law in our hearts so then we begin to realize that the way I glorify God is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit may say to you, hey, this is something that isn't good for your life. Let's put a boundary around it. But, but, don't, but someone else may not have that boundary. And so then you're like, well, that's not fair. No, it's not. But it's not about fair. It's about holiness and righteousness. So Christians aren't a lawless people. We are a people who've been redeemed from the curse of the law by the grace and mercy of Jesus through the cross who became a curse for us. And we are a people who are filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit to live our lives for this purpose alone, to glorify God. As he writes the boundaries on our hearts, we glorify him because he's leading us in the way of everlasting, in the way of righteousness. That's who we are. Father, we love you and we thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for, we thank you for your law because you gave it. It is a gift. You gave this guardian as a gift to show us you.
that everything you do points us back to Jesus. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm praying today for freedom through redemption. God, there's people that are, that are hearing this message that need freedom from, from, from the list and need freedom from the law and need freedom from, from the legalism. They, they, just, they need you, Jesus. So I'm asking you, I'm asking you to bring freedom through redemption. I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to empower us all. Fill us, fill us, fill us, fill us. We need your help to live this life you've called us and created us to live. And we wanna live it all for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast. Or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at thecreekfw.com.